Good morning, and thank you again, uh, DMR. You guys are doing a great job. How's everyone doing this morning? Good, good. That's good. I am reminded on a uh, daily basis that the circumstances of life are not always to our choosing, uh, nor do we understand at times why we're experiencing them. More often than not, we complain and become bitter instead of rejoicing. We view things as hindrances to our plans, unnecessary burdens or trials that we have to face, upsetting situations and unfair events that we certainly don't deserve. And many of us, I'm sure if not most of us, have asked ourselves the question, why me? Why am I going through it? Why now? And why this? Sometimes circumstances such as these become too much to bear and uh, we fall into deep depression. I know there are some who have fallen into discouragement as a result and often We believe that it's just not worth continuing the fight, and so we want to give up the fight. Some of us will even become bitter or resentful under circumstances of life that don't go our way. Others will become rebellious toward authority. Some will become angry at God, bitter or outright hostile toward others. You may find yourself shoving a referee into scores table, screaming at a parent or a teacher, or maybe even going postal towards a boss. I mean, you know, we all handle things in different ways. But what I want to know as I go through this is where are the people who are rejoicing in, such, in the midst of such circumstances? The people that have a joy in their heart that know that everything is going to be okay, that inner satisfaction that, you know what, things are going to be okay because God's in control. Now, I, I've been wondering as I've gone through this because in this, in this session that, that we have today, we're going to learn how to rejoice, learning to rejoice and learning how to use this. There we go. But learning to rejoice. Have you ever wondered why there's so little joy in the lives of people around us? I mean, I have, and I've come to this conclusion. I believe that there's so little joy in our lives because most of us believe that joy is something that will happen to us instead of something that we have to deliberately and diligently pursue. We're sitting around and we're waiting for it to happen instead of going after it and pursuing it with great diligence. Now listen to me, listen to me closely, because the circumstances in life seldom generate smiles nor laughter. The circumstances of our life will seldom generate smiles or laughter. Joy is a choice. I've said that many times, and I'm going to say it many more times. Joy is a choice. And it comes to those who determine to pursue it in spite of their circumstances. And that's really what, what I want to share with you. In fact, what I want to do is I want to share a couple of stories with you. The first story I want to share, I've been kind of waiting. I've been waiting to share it because it has to do with a member of this particular group. Many of you hear Tom's amens. Some of you have seen him. Not many of you know him. But his wife shared a story with me that I think is appropriate for those of us who are trying to pursue joy and seeing the positive things in life instead of the negative things. And God knows that she's had to do that in her relationship with Tom. But this isn't even about her, this is about Tom. Many of you, I'm sure, don't realize that Tom is an ex-Marine, that Tom in his younger days liked to get out and do some running and training and, you know, would take his wife camping and she would get to stay in late. And you wondered why a woman like this would stay married to a man like this. Well, because we don't really see the real Tom. He would get up and he'd make breakfast for her. She'd get to sleep in. He'd make some fresh coffee. He'd go out for a run and he'd come back and he'd want to surprise her with that. And so she was used to him getting up before her in the morning and going out and running in the morning, making breakfast, having the coffee ready. And they liked to go camping. Well, anyway, one morning she hears this commotion outside the tent. And uh, she, she hears what sounds like Tom running, but he's running and making some funny noises and she can't figure out what's going on and he's growling and he's growling like a bear and she knows that he has a tendency to do that but as she looked out she realized it was actually a bear and it was a bear in hot pursuit of Tom and Tom was running around this campsite that they had set up and he was running around the picnic table and he was running for all of his life but being an ex-marine he saw that there was a positive thing that was happening here and he was running for all his life and this bear was just about ready to get him and Kay yelled out of the tent Tom look out the bear's going to get you and just as the bear was ready to sweep down on him, he looked over to him and said, Don't worry, babe, I'm one lap up on him. <laughs> and it was that particular morning, Tom, if you'd stand up for a second, it was that particular morning that he began to sport this particular hairstyle that he now has. <laughs> but he learned to look at the positive things in life and not the negative things. And we need to learn something from that story, I guess. But there's also another story that I want to share with you, and it's a short story by a gentleman named G.W. Target. 
and it was entitled The Window. And he tells of two men who are both seriously ill and they occupy the same small hospital room. It says one man was allowed to sit up in his bed for an hour each afternoon to help drain the fluid from his lungs. His bed was next to the room's only window. And the other man had to spend all of his time flat on his back. He goes and tells the story that the men would talk for hours on end and they spoke of their wives and families, their homes, their jobs, their involvement in the military service where, the, where they had gone on vacation. And every afternoon when the man in the bed by the window could sit up, he would pass the time by describing to his roommate all the things he could see outside the window. The man in the, outer, in the other bed began to live for those one-hour periods where his world would be broadened and enlivened by all the activity and the color of this outside world. The window overlooked a park with a lovely lake, the man said. Ducks and swans played on the water while children sailed their model boats. Lovers walked arm in arm amid flowers of every color of the rainbow, and grand old trees graced the landscape. And a fine view of the city skyline could be seen in the distance. And as the man by the window described all this in exquisite detail, the man on the other side of the room would close his eyes and he would imagine this picturesque scene. It says, on one warm afternoon, the man by the window described a parade that was passing by. Although the other man couldn't hear the band, he could see it in his mind's eye as the gentleman by the window portrayed it with descriptive words. But all of a sudden, unexpectedly, an alien thought entered his head. He said, why should he have all the pleasure of seeing everything while I never get to see anything? It just didn't seem fair. As the thought fermented, the man felt ashamed at first, but as the days passed and he missed seeing more sights, his envy eroded into resentment, into bitterness, and soon it turned him sour. He began to brood and he found himself unable to sleep. He, could, he, he should be the one that was by the window. He should be the one that was seeing what was going on. And that thought now began to dominate and control his life. Late one night as he lay staring at the ceiling, the man by the window began to cough. And he was, cho and, and he was choking on the fluid in his lungs. The other man watched in the dimly lit room as, he, as the man by the window struggled to grope for the button to call for help. It says, listening from across the room, he never moved. He never pushed his own button, which would have immediately brought a nurse running. In less than five minutes, the coughing and the choking stopped, along with the sound of breathing. Now there was only silence, deathly silence. The following morning, the day nurse arrived to bring water for their baths, and when she found the lifeless body of the man by the window, she was saddened and called the hospital attendants to take it away. No fuss, no words. As soon as it seemed appropriate, the other man asked if he could be moved next to the window. The nurse was happy to make the switch, and after making sure he was comfortable, she left him alone. And slowly and painfully, he propped himself up on one elbow to take his first look. Finally, he would have the joy of seeing it all for himself. He strained to look out the window beside of his bed, and he found that it faced a blank wall. Wow. The pursuit of joy is a matter of choice. It is a positive attitude that we choose to express. It's not a gift that's delivered to us each morning. It's not a gift that God, you know, has sitting out for you with breakfast. It doesn't come flying in through an open window. It's, it, it's an attitude that we choose on our own. And since the pursuit of joy is an inward journey, I think it would be helpful if we consider two options that are available to us, and I want you to ask yourself, it's kind of a self-test, but ask yourself this, are you a negative person or a positive person? And let me give you two sides of the column. The negative person, for example, sees the need for certain things before there can be any joy in their life. A positive attitude is that there's, no need for, there's virtually a need for nothing to be able to experience joy in your life. A negative person has a strong dependence on others to provide the joy for them. A positive person realizes the ability to create one's own reasons to be joyful. A negative person focuses on joy as being out there, always in the future, waiting for something to happen, and thereby you'll have some type of happiness. If only this could happen, and then I'll finally have joy in my life. The positive person chooses joy today, makes it a present pursuit, never waits for everything to fall into place, never waits for that ship to finally come in, but chooses to have joy today in the midst of the circumstances that they find themselves in at that particular moment. Are you a positive person or a negative person? I think we must be aware as, as we go through this that there are certain joy bandits, bandits that will rob the joy from our accounts. And in Philippians 1, if you've got your Bibles, turn with me there to Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 21, as we continue in our study of this letter that basically emphasizes the pursuit of joy. 
In this particular passage, the Apostle Paul shows and, and shares uh, with his friends there at Philippi and also with us that genuine joy, authentic joy, will require basically three things to be true of our life. Joy requires three things to be true of our life to experience the kind of joy that God says is possible. And he also warns us of three joy bandits, if you want to call them that, for lack of a better description, but three joy bandits that I look at as being bandits that could steal the joy right out of our account. And in Philippians 1, verse 12, we begin there when we read this. Now, I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. And that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but others also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that this shall turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provisions of the Spirit of Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope, that I shall not be put to shame in anything, but with all boldness Christ shall even now as always be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain." In this particular section, Paul basically gives us an outline of three points, or three truths, as I've mentioned. And the first one that he shares with us is found in verses 12 through 14, and that is this. If you're to have true joy in your life, you must be convinced that God is behind your circumstances. To have true joy in your life, you must be convinced that God is behind every circumstance. Every situation that comes, that comes across your plate, so to speak, in life, you've got to be convinced that God is behind it. He says, now I want you to know, brother, it's critical at this point to remember what, where Paul's coming from as he gives us this advice and counsel. He's not a guy whose team just won the Super Bowl. He's not a guy who's being interviewed afterwards saying, hey, I'm going to Disney World. I mean, this isn't where he's at in life. And in fact, if anything, it's exactly the opposite from human perspective. This man is in prison. You've got to remember what his goal was and his desire was. His desire was to go to Rome as a preacher. He wanted to go to Rome and share the gospel or the good news that God had sent his son, Jesus Christ, into this world to reconcile man to God, that Christ died on the cross, that he rose again three days later. Not only was he seen by a handful, but he was seen by over 500 eyewitnesses of this resurrection, this power over death, this victory over sin, this, this ability to reconcile God to man. I mean, this was what the gospel, this is what good news means. It's good news, folks, to know that we don't have to suffer and die in our sins, that we don't have to work our way to heaven, that we don't have to somehow or another be better than, than we were one day than another day and hope that's the day that we die so maybe God will grade us on a curve. It's great news to know that God took care of everything in the person of Jesus Christ. That's some good news. And what's good news about it was he wanted to go and tell everybody in the world about it. The problem was he wanted to go as a preacher and he wanted to have the freedom to stand and to preach in the streets of Rome and shout, hey, Jesus Christ is alive and he's risen from the dead. But he didn't get to go that way. He went as a prisoner instead. And it's important to realize that and understand that. And what he's saying very simply, he says this, now I want you to know what has happened to me. Man, you talk about downplaying something. So I just want you to know what's happened to me. He didn't go into great elaborate detail about all the things that went, went wrong, quote, in his life. He didn't go into great elaborate detail about how he was persecuted, how when he went into the temple, the Jews thought he desecrated the temple by allowing Gentiles to come in to hear the good news of Christ, how the Jews hated him. He didn't go into great detail about how the, the, the Romans hated him because they thought he was some renegade from Egypt. He didn't go into great detail about how the Jews hated him and the Romans hated him and everybody hated him and, oh, woe is me and let's have a pity party. He didn't go into all that. He didn't go into the fact that they finally arrested him and for two years he was kind of left floundering while he wanted to go to Rome and finally he, he was able to go and appeal before, before Rome and they said, fine, as a Roman citizen, you can go and you can appeal your case and you can go to Rome. 
He didn't get into great detail about how when he went to Rome, he was on a ship that, that ended up getting shipwrecked. And for three months, after he spent a day and a night floating around on, on, on lumber in the water, and how he finally landed on Malta, that they spent three months there before another ship could come and pick him up. He didn't even go into all that. All he said was, I just want you to know that what's happened to me. And he kind of left it at that. I want you to know, what Paul is saying is, I want you to be convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that there is a reason, there is a purpose, there is a plan behind what has happened to me. Knowing this reason will bring joy to our life. See, what robs the joy of my life, and I don't know about you, but when stuff happens to me, not knowing why just robs all the joy out of my life. Oh, why is this happening to me? Why am I going through it? Why are we going through it? Why is our family always going through it? Why are we the ones that are always having to go through stuff like this? Oh, you know what? It's probably a good time. Let me introduce you to Joy Bandit number one. Joy Bandit number one. Live in your life with a victim mentality. That'll rob the joy out of your account quicker than anything else. Oh, woe is me. You know, we live in a day and age that's filled with people who are being convinced that they're victims. Oh, woe is me. I'm hosting a pity party for me. Oh, woe is me. We sit around and we lick our wounds. We feel sorry for ourselves. And all the injustices of this world, oh, woe is me. I can't believe this is happening to me. Why is this always happening to me? It's just not fair. Why me? Why is this always going on? Oh, and then, you know, and you got all these psychologists and counselors telling everybody it was because you were abused as a kid. And somehow or another, you are physically or emotionally scarred, and that's why you're like you are. And boy, this is going to take a whole long time in counseling. And by the way, bring your checkbook. Let me ask you something. Do terrible things happen to people? Absolutely. Do you have a choice on how you'll respond to these events and circumstances in your life? Absolutely. Does anything happen to you that God hasn't first approved and allowed to happen in your life? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. There is nothing that is happening in your life or my life that God hasn't first approved and allowed for His purposes, and there's a game plan behind it. And the quicker we realize that, the quicker we'll have joy in our life again. You can either sit around and be miserable and feel sorry for yourself and spend the rest of your life in counseling, or you can be convinced that God is behind your circumstances and that He has a purpose and a plan and there are some good reasons for allowing you to experience what you've gone through and what you're experiencing today. Those are the two choices you have to make. And you can make either one of them. But I'll guarantee you, one of them, you'll be miserable all your life. And you'll make everybody around you miserable. Or the other, new suit, looks nice. You see So you got to be here. You give these tapes to people and they just miss stuff like that, you know? But that's all right. See, what Paul is, what he's comforting and encouraging the Philippians and us is by saying, you know what? I want you to know why all these things happen. See, Paul was like the man in the hospital room. He was looking out at a bleak, blank wall, but he was determined to see the unseen. He was determined to see things as God sees things, not as man sees things. He saw beyond the blank wall and he saw something deeper and, and more important that was going on. And he says that there's two things that he wants us to be aware of as we go through this. He says, now I want you to know, I want, you to, I want to give you counsel. I want to help you understand what's going on in your life. I want you to help you understand what's going on in my life. He says, and what's happened to me. Number one, he says, has really served what? To advance the gospel. You see what the reason he gives here? He says, the reason that all this has happened in my life is to serve to advance the gospel. And the New American Standard says it's for the greater progress of the good news of Jesus Christ. All these things happen to us to progress the news of Christ. Now the word that he uses, or the phrase that he uses, is an interesting word. It's very colorful, it's descriptive. It's a Greek phrase that was used of an advancing army who would go ahead of an army. And basically their job were, they were the woodcutters. They would go and they would chop down the trees, they would chop down the brush, they would chop down anything that was going to be in the way of an advancing army that was to follow. He's saying the reason that these things happened to me was that I was going to blaze a path and I would be the first one to be used by God to 
cut away all the brush, to get away all the trees, so that the advancing army of God's people could follow and march behind me. Wow! He said there's a purpose and a reason for all of this. I mean, you stop and think about all these things and you begin to realize, you know what? God still wants us to be pioneers of telling people the great news that God took care of all of our problems as far as sin is concerned in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. He wants us to be pioneers, to go ahead and to blaze a trail and to let people know what's going on. That God loves them, He has a purpose and a plan, that He sent Christ to die for them. They don't have to live in misery and hopelessness anymore. There's a purpose behind all of it. He said that I want you to know the reason why I went through all this was to blaze a trail or a path so others will follow. Wow, that's some good stuff. Now, many of us could possibly view this as being negative or discouraging. Many of us would view, oh man, I'm thrown in prison as a negative thing. Oh, woe is me, I didn't do anything wrong, why is this happening to me? There are many things in life we can view as discouraging and negative, or we can view it as positive and for the advancement of the gospel. Let me give you an illustration from my own personal life. One of the, one of the most, if you want to call it fun, one, one of the happiest times in our life, and here goes that emotion again, was when my wife and I were both working for the same company, and, uh, and then she ended up not working to stay home with the kids, but I still ended up working there, and was with a group of people that we just had a great time working together. Man, I mean, I love going to work. I love the family that owned the company. I loved the company. I loved everything that we were doing and everything that we stood for. I just loved it. But the guy who owned the business was getting up in age, and he was looking for someone to buy it. And anyway, make a long story short, a major oil company comes in and buys this sm excuse me, small family-held business. Now, you know what? I look back on that, and I remember thinking, oh, man, why now? Why is this going to happen? What's going on? I mean, this is, this is the first job I ever had that I really enjoyed every day, man. And now look at this. Oh, we're, we're from corporate. We're here to help you. Oh, no. Oh, no. Why is this happening? Why me? Why now? Oh, why? That was one way to look at it. Or to look at another way. Say, hey, you know what? God's opened another door here. New opportunities to advance the progress of the gospel. The first thing that happened is they sent a company psychologist in to interview all of us who were in management. Most of us were Christians. That was a rather interesting opportunity to share with the psychologist. <laughs> you know, and because he'd get into all kinds of stuff. Well, what would you do in this situation? Well, what do you mean situation? Everything, it's either right or wrong, and here's the, what the situation is, and this would be the wrong way to handle this. Oh, no, you can't say that everything's absolutely right or wrong. There's situational things that we need to consider when we're in a management position. No, I don't think so. Well, where do, you come with, where, where do you come to all this conclusion? Well, because right here in the Bible, everything, that, everything I do in life is decided upon what God says. It's either right or wrong, and that's as simple as it is. And, you know, and I pray that God would give me the strength to always do the right thing. And the right thing in this case would be this, 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 and this. And they look at me and go, you know what? Your perspective on life is way too narrow. All right? But, hey, that's my perspective on life. All of a sudden, we're traveling through Switzerland on the Orient Express. And we're sitting down with some senior vice presidents of this major oil company. And we're sitting with his wife and, and the other wives of these executives. And we begin to have a conversation about life and things that are going on. And all of a sudden, the door opens for the progress or the advancement of the good news of Christ. Why are you the way you are? Why is your family the way it is? Why is your relationship like it is? We've got problems with our kids. We've got problems with this and that and the other thing. And how do you handle this in business and all this stuff? And all of a sudden, we have an opportunity as we're traveling through Switzerland. And I'm reminded of what Paul is saying here. God, open this huge door and say, now tell them. Tell them about Jesus. Tell them about the good news that they can find forgiveness too in the person of Jesus Christ. What a wonderful opportunity it was. Two years later, Oil prices went down again. They divested themselves of non, all non-petroleum-related businesses. And that was the end of that opportunity, and God opened another door. Just when we were starting to get along great, and just when everything was going good. And again, you can sit there and say, but now, oh, we overcame this obstacle, and we've got an opportunity here. And God, look at this relationship we're developing, and now you shut the door. What are you doing? Don't you see things like I do? No, I don't. <laughs> oh, and then I got to work with another guy. Another guy who ended up being a cokehead. 
And for two and a half years, they got to share the gospel with him and his family and the people around him until he walked in one day and said, screw you, you're fired. And he said it a little nastier than that. But uh, that's kind of the way that door closed. That one closed really quick, just like that, man. That one is, whoop, that one closed. But that closed and another opened. And the point of all of it is this. The, what's the reason for Paul's circumstances? It's to advance the gospel. He says, I just want to let you know the reason was to advance the gospel. Now let me ask you a question. Please, don't, don't get upset with me, but I want to ask you something I need to ask you. If you're going through a circumstance in life that you don't particularly like and you wouldn't have particularly chosen, let me ask you this. How are you using it to further the gospel of Jesus Christ? How are you using it to advance the good news that God loves the people that he's bringing into your life? You can look at it as a negative thing and sit around and suck your thumb and say, woe is me and feel sorry and shut the blinds and the drapes and close yourself up and hide in the house and never come out again. Or you can use it to advance and progress the good news that God loves people. But it's up to you. That's the reason that it happened. And Paul said that's the reason that every circumstance happens in life. I want you to know that this is why I'm going through what I'm going through. But he also went on and said this, but there's also a result. That's the reason. But the result was this. It has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. I love this. What was the result? He's saying right there, as a result, guess what? I love how God does things. Because what did Paul want to do more than anything else in life? He wanted to go to Rome, and he wanted the whole world to hear that God loved people and sent Jesus Christ. That's what he wanted more than anything else in the world. And God said, Paul, that's a worthwhile ambition. Here's how I'm going to work it out. Paul's like, I'm sure at first he was probably thinking, but I want to go to Rome, and God's saying, I'm going to get you to Rome. But I'd rather go first class. I'd rather be sitting up front with the linen and the nice china and the silver. I mean, I'm going in chains. But God had another idea. You see what what his plan was and what the result was? Listen to what he said. As a result... It's become clear or become well known throughout the whole palace guard or the whole praetorian guard and to everyone else that I am a prisoner for the sake of Christ. How did it become clear to everyone? Think about this. Paul wanted to go to Rome and preach. God says, I'm going to send you in chains and guess what's going to happen? This is going to be the coolest thing, Paul. This is going to be so neat, you're going to go nuts after you figure it out. You're going to just be smiling and rejoicing. It's going to be hilarious, but until you figure it out, you probably have kind of a bad attitude. But when you look back on it, oh, man. When you look back on this, this is going to be so funny. Now, listen to why this is funny. You know why this is funny? Because, now think about this for a second. The way the Roman prison system worked, a guard would be chained to a prisoner for six hours at a time. That means four people per 24-hour shift. The guards had to come to him and chain themselves to him. And I get to see Paul sitting there going like this. Hey, Octavius, how you been? How's things with the little lady? Still having problems with your kids? Pretty discouraged, huh? How's things going with your boss? And this guy chained to him for six hours. (laughs) He said, oh, you know what? Hang on for a second. I just want to pray for you for a little while. Dear God, I got Octavius here chained to me. He's having a little difficulty at home. He doesn't really know what will happen to him if he dies, and he's really shook up about it. He don't know what's going on. But you know what? Give me an opportunity to speak to him. And uh, you still there? Oh, yeah, you are. <laughs> yes, you are still there. For six hours, he's chained to a guy that is telling him about how much God loves him. Then the next guy would come in. And the guy walking out is going like this. <laughs> See you tomorrow. Taking his life back. And then the next guy would come in. And the next guy would come in. And they're chained to him and they're stuck there. And you know who he had access to? To the elite praetorian guard? What God was saying is, Paul, you would have never got to speak to them ever. 
you would have never had access to them ever. Chuck, you never would have got to sit down with executives from a major oil company and share the good news of Jesus Christ if they hadn't bought that company and you hadn't had the opportunity to share with them because if you would have tried to make an appointment with them to talk to them, they wouldn't have known who you were and they wouldn't have cared and you never would have got past the secretary. Oh, that's how this works. Exactly. And it was well known. I like what he says. And it was clear to everybody in the Praetorian Guard that Paul was in prison for the sake of Jesus Christ. They knew why he was there. Not only that, but you know what else, what else happened? Not only did the guards all know and go back and start telling others, and as we'll find out, many of them trusted in Christ as a result, but not only did the guard know, but everybody in Rome knew, and you know why? Because they had to discuss it. They had to discuss it to determine whether or not this Christian sect was dangerous or not. So they had to study the doctrines of Christianity to come to a conclusion on whether it was dangerous to the Roman Empire or not. So it was well known and discussed all throughout Rome. We need to talk about this. We need to discuss this. What's going on here? The other thing that's interesting to me, too, is that as we look at this, we begin to realize what a great opportunity it was. But he also says, And because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. Now you say, how does this help me in my circumstances? Here's the way it helps me. Sometimes God has to put chains on us to free us to pioneer the advance of the gospel. And it could never happen in any other way. Your chains aren't to hinder you, but they're to mobilize you. Maybe your chains are a corporate merger or a downsizing that will force you to find a new job. Maybe your chains are a transfer to another city. Maybe your chain is an illness or a disease or cancer that will open the door to have access to nurses and doctors whom you never would have seen. Maybe your chain is an injury. I dealt with athletes all the time. And they look at it and say, Oh, man, if I go to the Super Bowl, then I can tell everybody about Jesus. Oh, boys, I'm walking out the field. I'm going to Disneyland, and it's all because I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Let me tell you something. I don't know if you've noticed this about life. But very few people in life can relate to you when you're on top of the world. But most of them will listen to you when they see joy in your heart in the midst of adverse circumstances. And I try to tell guys all that time, man, you know what? No one's going to listen to you because you won a Super Bowl. They're going to listen to you because you blew out your knee and you still got joy in your life. They're going to listen to you because you got benched and they know you should be playing, and you still got joy in your life. They're going to listen to you because there's something different about how you handle adverse circumstances than the rest of the world, because you got joy in your life. Because you are convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is behind all of these circumstances, and you can't wait to tell people about it. You know what? Maybe you're a, a mother that has young children at home. And you feel like these children are somehow a chain that binds you from being free to go out and do what God wants you to do. Let me just encourage you with the story of Susanna Wesley. She was the mother of 19 children. And if she felt like she had chains on, every young mother in here could say, I know how you feel. But the thing was that she had 19 children before disposable diapers and microwave ovens. And you know what? Two of her kids, John and Charles Wesley, combined ministries shook the British Isles. Her chain, her chains, was her ministry. And she poured her life and her heart into her children and taught them of the love of God. And it turned those two boys on to going out and just sharing with everybody in the world that would listen how much God loves them in the person of Jesus Christ. Fanny Crosby was blinded when she was a youngster at the age of six. But the chains never darkened her life or the joy that God put in it. And she wrote numerous hymns and songs as a result. Johnny Erickson Tata broke her neck when she was a teenager. She came to know Jesus Christ because of it. And she has changed the world as she's gone out and spoke in the midst of her circumstances and adversity that she was convinced that it was a plan of God for the purpose of furthering and advancing the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, we need to understand that. 
we need to recognize we have a choice in the midst of all of that. But also, I want you to share, share with you this. It said most of the brothers of the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God. Most, not all. Most of you will be encouraged by what's shared here today, <clears throat> but not all of you. Because you want to be negative. You want people to feel sorry for you. You want to feel sorry for yourself. You want to live with the room and the, and the drapes closed and the windows shut. And you, know, and you want to say, woe is me and my poor life and my poor background and all that kind of stuff. That, that's your choice, but that is what you're choosing to do. Because you don't have to live that way anymore. You can be convinced that God is behind those circumstances for a purpose and a plan and that he loves you and he's using those circumstances not only to show you that he loves you, but to show others around you that he loves them. Most of them were convinced of that and as a result, they spoke more courageously and fearlessly. But not all did. Some chose joy and some did not. The second thing that we see is in verses 15 through 19. It says, and you are committed to the gospel of Christ regardless of the motives and the practices of others. I love this. Look at this. He says, it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether false motives are true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Isn't that interesting? Joy bandit number two. You know it will steal the joy out of your life as quickly as a, a victim mentality? And that's disappointment in the lives of others. You're disappointed in others. You're disappointed in the way they live. You're disappointed in the way they respond. You're disappointed in that they haven't chosen to receive and, and accept Christ yet. You're disappointed in that they continue to live the lifestyle they do. You're disappointed they're still struggling in, in all the misery of their life, that they're still hooked on drugs, that they're still addicted to alcohol. You're, you're disappointed they still lie, cheat, and steal. You're disappointed, 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 and as a result, you have no joy left in your life because the joy bandit of disappointed of others have come and just robbed you of all the joy in your account. Stop being disappointed in the lives of others. It's critical as we look at this to see what he's saying. You know what Paul is saying? That there were people who preached the gospel of Christ. And the only reason they were telling everybody about Jesus was so they could aggravate the crowd and the media and public sentiment against Paul who was in prison and awaiting a trial to declare his innocence before Rome and to declare the gospel. There was people out there telling people about Jesus only to get Paul hung. Can you believe that? There was so much competition and rivalry over, oh, are you following Paul or are you follow Peter? Or do you follow Jesus? Or, or what church do you go to? What preacher do you listen to on the radio? Who, who are you following today? And what Paul was saying was there were people that were out there that were telling people about Jesus and the only reason they were doing it was so I'd get hung. And then there were others that were out there telling them because they love people and they want them to know the good news. But you know how Paul handled that? He said this, so what? Big deal. Listen to what I'm saying here. Paul's saying, I know some people are out there just trying to stir up trouble and get me hung. But you know what I say? Who cares? You know why I say that? Because they're still preaching Jesus. They're still telling people about Jesus. Now understand something here. When they were teaching false doctrine and they were distorting the good news of Christ, Paul stood up and said, hey, let them be accursed. If you're telling people there's any other way to get to heaven but by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then let them be cursed by God for deceiving and lying and manipulating and distorting the truth of the gospel because it's for grace you're saved through faith and that alone. It's not of yourself. It's a gift from God so that no man could ever boast. If somebody's out there telling people there's another way to get to heaven but by believing in Jesus Christ, let God curse them. He can get hot, boy, that's what he said in Galatians. He can get ticked off at people. But what he's saying here to the Philippians was, you know what, but these people aren't doing that. They're telling people to put their faith and trust in Jesus. Now they may be telling them that so that people get upset with me and have me hung, but I don't care because they're still telling the truth. Personal note. People 
who walk around with signs bug me. Turn or burn. Believe in Jesus or go to hell. I mean, you've seen people preach like that. You've seen people on streets like that. You may even have people in your family who are like that. And you're trying to share the good news of how God loves these other family members. And you've got somebody in your family saying this. Well, mother, if you don't trust in Jesus, you're going to burn in hell forever. And you get upset by that. And I know why you get upset by that, because you have a different style, a different approach. You want to make friends with people, you want to develop a relationship with them, and as God opens the door, you want to share with them how much God loves them. I mean, that's how I like to operate, that's how I like to, to share with others what God has done in my life. But let me just tell you something, and, get, and free you up from this. Stop being disappointed in others who are telling people about Jesus just because you don't like how they're doing it. As long as what they're saying is true, then who cares? God's still going to use it anyway. And it takes all kind to reach all kind of people. Some people need to hear. If you die today and you've never trusted in Christ, you're going to burn in hell forever. Some people need to hear it just like that. Because then they go, ooh, you sound pretty confident in that. And other people don't want to hear that. Other people get turned off by that. All I'm saying is this. Who cares? As long as Christ is being shared with others. And that's what he is saying. He said he was committed to the gospel of Christ regardless of the motives and practices of others. I like that. I like that a lot. Because basically the bottom line is this. We all need to get off our high horse about how certain churches are more special than other churches. Let me just tell you this. Would there not be a lot more joy in the kingdom of God if every church that was committed to telling the world about Jesus would just be satisfied with that and say, you know what, God bless them. You live in that area, you want to go to that church, those people teach Jesus. Go. You live somewhere else, they teach Jesus, go. Salvation's by Christ alone, go there. Man, wouldn't it be nice? Oh, what kind of, oh, what's, your, what's that ministry, the parachurch ministry, that organization do? They tell people about Jesus? Yes, they do. Well, stop competing with them. Stop trashing them. Stop tearing each other down. If they are committed to teaching people about Christ and that God loves them and that if they trust in Him, that that's all that they need for their salvation, then, they, hey, that's good enough. Who cares? And stop using your disappointment in others as an excuse for your non-walk with God. Here's another one for you. I got a friend I talked to not long ago. He has never been back to church since the pastor of his church it was acknowledged publicly that he was guilty of sexual immorality. Never been back to church since. And I said, why not? Why not? Why is there no joy in your life anymore? Because I'm disappointed in others. Well, let me tell you something, Chief. You'll never have joy in your life if you use others as, as your excuse for your personal disappointment. Because pastors will fail you, parents will fail you, children will fail you, friends will fail you, employers will fail you, corporations will fail you, everybody will fail you, but Jesus Christ will never fail you. And I don't care if the whole world falls off the wagon and doesn't want anything to do with the gospel of Christ anymore, I love him, and I know he who began a good work in me will perfect it until the day that Jesus comes again. You see, we can't use other people as our excuse to be disappointed in life. You can't use a teacher as an excuse for not wanting to learn in school. You can't use a coach as an excuse for not wanting to love the sport that you love. You can't leave, use the fact that he put you on the bench to be the excuse now that I never want to play a game again because of this person. You can't use an employer or a business as an excuse to why I don't even want to be in this industry anymore if you love that industry. Then you go somewhere else. And you have joy in your heart. You're not disappointed in the lives of others. Who cares what other people do? Man, it's important that we recognize that. He was committed to the gospel of Christ regardless of the motives and practices of others because it was the Lord Jesus Christ that he followed and no one else. And we'll close on this. There'll be joy in your life also when you are controlled by Christ no matter what happens to you. When you are controlled by Christ no matter what happens to you, Philippians 1, 20 through 21, he says, I eagerly expect and I hope that I will in no way be ashamed. You see what he says? He's saying, you know what? I'm in the middle of a circumstance and it's my eager hope and expectation that I will not do and I will not say anything that will cause me to be ashamed 
and somehow or another diminish the message that God loves people. I don't want to be bitter. I don't want to be angry. I don't want to be resentful. I don't want to gossip. I don't want to tear other people down. I'm not going to be used by the enemy to destroy the message of God's love for people. I will have joy in my life when I look back on these circumstances and know, you know what? As I look back on the merger with a, a major oil company, I'm not ashamed of anything that I did. I'm not ashamed of anything that I said. As I look back on the days when I worked with a guy who had a coke addiction, I'm not ashamed of anything that I said. I'm not ashamed of anything that I did. And I have joy in my heart because of it. And what he's saying to you and me right now is if you're going through a difficult circumstance, don't do, don't say anything that you will be ashamed of later on in hindsight as you see that it was God who orchestrated the circumstances for his plans and for his purposes. That's why the fruit of the Spirit is love and peace and patience. Checking into things before we jump to conclusions and kindness, saying what is good and appropriate at that moment in time for the person who's in need. Why the fruit of the Spirit is also self-control. When somebody does something to you, you want to grab them by the throat and you want to punch them out. Or you want to say something to them. Or maybe you even want to file a frivolous lawsuit because you're so bitter and resentful and you just want them to pay for what they've done to you. I've worked here 30 years. How can they treat me like this? I'm going to sue them. And you get angry and bitter and nasty and mean. He says, ah, when we're controlled by Christ, I'll never be ashamed of any of my actions. Because basically what it's coming down to is this. What would Jesus do? if he just got laid off from his job after 20 years? What would Jesus do if he just got hauled to prison and he didn't do anything wrong? Well, we already know what he'd do. We already know what he said. When he was insulted, he didn't insult back in return. When he was reviled and he was cursed at, he didn't curse back in return. When people were angry and bitter with him, that he was gentle and kind in his response to them. You know why he did that in 1 Peter 2? His example is this. He left us an example that we could follow. He left us an example of how to handle adverse circumstances. And you know what he said? And he entrusted God who judges righteously. He entrusted himself to God who had a plan and a purpose for this world. And he entrusted himself to him. See, you're controlled by Christ no matter what happens to you. He says whether it's in death or life, hey, whether I'm freed on this charge or I go to be hung for what I, what I, what I believe, I don't care if I'm let go, may I praise the Lord. If I'm put to death, may I praise the Lord. And no matter what I do and anything that I say, may people after I'm gone up they hang me say there was something different about this man and this God that he loved. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let me close as we consider some things that I think are important. How do you counteract the joy bandits? How do we develop a security system that protects the joy in our lives? Number one, we need to be convinced that God is behind our circumstances, all of our circumstances, and that those chains that we saw today as we walked in, we now see as not only chains that, that were to bind us, but they're chains that will free us to serve the Lord and to advance the gospel. We're committed to the gospel regardless of others. We don't really care what their opinions are and their motives and the actions. It doesn't really make any difference why telev televangelists are on TV or what they're trying to do or what they're trying to say. It doesn't really make any difference to, to me. I've got people who don't like me. I know that. Because they don't like my style. They don't like how I come across. And, and that's okay as long as I'm never accused of not teaching the truth about who Jesus is. I mean, it doesn't matter. So what? That's all right. We're all different. We all have different likes and tastes. And that's okay. And we're to be controlled by Christ and that will protect us from shame and embarrassment of doing and saying things that we would regret later on. We need to choose joy. Now some of us, it's going to be really difficult to do and in fact it's going to take a little extra energy to do it and some of you are saying, but I'm already too tired now. And I like this. I think I shared this with you once but it's fitting and I want to close with this because some of you are thinking, I'm too tired to choose joy. Well, maybe you are, maybe you're not. But I'll tell you what, it's a lot easier to choose joy than it is to choose to be negative and bitter in life. It's an anonymous, anonymous uh, uh, little deal here, I don't, which means I don't know who wrote it. Okay. It says, I'm tired. It says, yes, I am. I'm tired. For several years, I've been blaming it on middle age, iron poor blood, lack of vitamins, air pollution, water pollution, saccharin, obesity, dieting, underarm odor, uh, yellow, yellow waxy buildup, and a dozen other maladies that make you wonder if life is really worth living. But now I found out, paint that. I'm tired because I'm simply overworked. 
Population of this country is 200 million. 84 million are retired. That leaves 116 million to do the work. There are 75 million in school, which leaves 41 million to do the work. Of this total, there are 22 million employed by the government. That leaves only 19 million to do the work. <laughs> it says 4 million are in the armed forces, which leaves 15 million to do the work. Take from that the total that 14,800,000 people who work for the state and city governments, and that leaves 200,000 people left to do the work. There are 188,000 in hospitals, so that leaves only 12,000 people to do the work. Now there are 11,998 people in prison. That leaves just two people to do the work. You and me. And I'm standing here reading this. No wonder I'm so tired. I like that. Can I, ask, can I ask you a question? How many of you are tired? How many of you are tired of living a life with a victim mentality? How many of you are tired of that? Raise your hand, if you are. How many of you are tired of being disappointed in the lives of others? You're just tired of it. How many of you are tired of making a fool of yourself by doing and saying things as you look back you wish you never would have did? Oh yeah, everybody, that's good. <laughs> Can I, can I just challenge you to just let go? Can I challenge you to let go of being negative? Can I challenge you to choose joy in your life? To trust that God's in control? That it doesn't matter what others do? Can I trust you to choose joy? And that, you know, as you, as you consider it, you won't make a fool of yourself anymore? See, because if you protect the joy in your account from those joy bandits, I'll tell you what, I would love to see next time we get together a lot more of this. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to just take a look at your word. We thank you for the life of Paul and his example to us. God, I just pray for those who are struggling even as I speak that it's not going to be an easy thing choosing joy. They've already seen that throughout this whole series. And in fact, the funny thing and the irony of all of it is is when we want to choose joy, it seems like you allow even more adverse circumstances to come into our life just to test really if that's what we want in life or not. God, may we see you 100%. May we see you in charge of everything that happens without a shadow of a doubt, beyond any kind of doubting at all, that we see your hand in all of our circumstances. God, we just praise you for that. And we just pray that we can use those circumstances to advance the cause of Christ, that you will use us and the joy in our life in the midst of this adversity to be able to share how much you love us, how much you love this world, that you sent your only begotten son to die for us that whosoever would believe and put their trust in him would never perish, but have everlasting life. And we just praise you for that in Christ's name. Amen.